Hey, what up, y'all? It's your girl, Vivica Fox. Welcome to an all-new Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. We are going bigger and bolder. I'm your go-to girl for people, ideas, knowledge, inspiration, faith, love, truth, success, and of course, F-U-N fun. Your hustle is going to get an upgrade with the most surprising, exciting, and fabulous guests from all walks of life, darlings. You're in good hands. So don't forget to subscribe and download to Hustlin' with Vivica A. Fox. All right, y'all. Got to buckle up today because today we're going to go into the world of sports. Y'all know me. I'm a sports junkie. I love sports. You know, growing up, I played basketball, volleyball, track, and I was a cheerleader. So I know a little something, something about sports. So I always love to make sure that, you know, we commend our female athletes. So we got a question for you. What happens to former athletes after they retire from the game? How do they transform their passion into a new career? What is the passion principle? Well, we're going to answer that for you because today I'm speaking with Rusha Brown. Rusha is a former WNBA player, president, CEO of the Women's Professional Basketball Alumni Association, director of community relations and youth sports for the LA Sparks. And she's also a change agent. Welcome to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox, darling. Miss Fox, thank you so much for having me. I'm already excited. Your energy is amazing. And I'm just really happy to be here with you. Well, you know, I, I love, you know, I, I like to think, you know, us former hoop stars, you know, we, we got to let folks know how it's done and how to grow up and how to go through different chapters of a career. Because girl, when I was reading your uh, your intro, you had some receipts for the children. <laughs> you know, I've been through it all. I've done some of everything and I ended up right where I wanted to be, close to the game and still doing the things that I love. Which is so important. I tell people that in life, that when you do what you love in different different chapters of your career, it will really keep you a happier person because it's like, that's where you're comfortable at. And don't be afraid to go into those different chapters. But we're going to take you down a little bit of memory lane and let everybody know a little bit about your story. So you were born in the Bronx and raised in South Carolina. <laughs> now, how did you navigate your way into the game of basketball? You know, ironically enough, when I was younger, I had zero interest in playing sports. I wasn't trying to miss no. my hair or my nails. I was, <laughs> you know, just chilling, having a good time with my friends. But my father was a huge sports fan. He was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, loved Franco Harris, and he loved the Lakers. So I grew up watching Magic and, you know, Kareem and just all the guys with the Lakers. So I loved the sports, but I just didn't have any interest in playing it. Unfortunately, my father was diagnosed with cancer, and when he passed away, I just took a turn for the worse, you know, just getting into all kinds of stuff. But eventually, I was offered an opportunity to play sports, and I looked at that as an opportunity to bond with him, even though he was no longer here, a way to have a connection. And I started playing basketball in the 10th grade, and I fell in love. And really? I Yes. Mm -hmm. You didn't start playing basketball grade. to the 10th grade? You're, you're not one of like, girl, look, 
I was in the backyard trying to get my father's attention. Me and you have that in common. I'm a daddy's girl. My dad yes. was, he passed away too. Um, but my dad was just my favorite guy. And he introduced me, you know, to basketball and sports. I remember watching boxing, Muhammad Ali, watching football growing up. And, you know, for girls, that's your way to bond with your dad because, you Absolutely. know, most dad really, most dads really love sports. Mm-hmm. So you didn't pick up, did you not pick up a basketball to the 10th grade? I didn't do anything athletic until then. Once I started playing like yourself, I played volleyball, I ran track, but my first introduction for real to the game was when I was in the 10th grade. Of course, when I was little, I played in the streets, not even basketball, but I played football in the streets with my cousins. (laughs) None of those sports that I played in high school had I been involved in until I started playing in high school. Now, can I ask this? You were in the 10th grade. Were you tall? Oh, yes. I've always been. So they used to chase me around like, hey, tall girl, come here. And I'd be like, I would run off and be like, I don't want to play. I don't want to play. But it really came to the point where basketball was the thing that ended up saving me from myself because I had gone into a space after my father passed away where I wasn't being productive. Yeah, it happened, you know. Yeah. But, you know, something about his spirit came to you and and made you want to do the right things in his memory. And that's beautiful, you know? So now can I ask when you did start playing, did you have to go like reserve to varsity or did you just go jump straight into varsity? You know, I played JV and varsity and I was, so the one thing I could do was rebound. I could get the ball and I'm gonna pass it to you. Then I'm gonna run down there. You can shoot it. I'll get it, pass it back to you. I wasn't shooting. I wasn't dribbling or anything, but Mm. Working out with my coaches, I would come in the morning and I saw myself getting better. So the more yes. I worked, the better I got. Then I fell in love with the process of seeing what my work ethic and how it could lead me to something greater. So I would get up mm. in the morning, go to school early and practice, go to class, practice with the team. When the team would leave, I would stay in the gym. So I fell in love with it and I just could not be as sorry as I was because I was tall, but I was not good. So I worked on it. And my goal was to go to college on a scholarship. And I knew that's the only way it would happen. Now, you were one of the top student athlete recruits in the state of South Carolina as a senior. What schools tried to recruit you and how did you go about choosing what school was going to be right for you? You know, it was such an incredible process being recruited by all these schools. My dream school was the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Yes. was Carolina Blue. And I was recruited by Stanford, Harvard, Duke. You know, everybody me, except for Gino at Connecticut and um, Pat at Tennessee. So no way! No, only that and Gino come I don't know. I don't know. But I definitely was, it, it helped me later on. In what ways? Tell me. Just that it made me want to work even harder and understand mm. that I had to do better. Because if the top two teams were not calling for me and everybody else was, I wanted to know what I didn't have that, you know, I wasn't able to pull them. But I did get my dream school. So North Carolina, I remember specifically. And Yay! I, Look, I, I got a North Carolina blue. I blue. see you got that Carolina blue. That's for real. Um, she was in, in 88. God, I'm telling my age. But in 88, she was the Olympic coach. And I remember her calling mm. Seoul, Korea, saying, Rusha, we want you to come down to Carolina. And so I committed. But as I mentioned, I still was not over my father's death. I was close mm. to my family. And I wanted to stay close to home. So I chose a smaller school just 
I can stay close to my family. So I turned down my scholarship to North Carolina and I ended up at Furman University. Okay. Was that a blessing? Was that a good decision? Like all decisions are good decisions in the end. You know, I, I know that's right. I ended up, it's what we make it. And so I ended up going there. I had an incredible career. It hindered me professionally because mm. I wasn't thinking about the WNBA. There was no WNBA. I just At wanted to time. school, get a great education and get me a great job. I wanted to work with kids and be a social worker. So I got all of that. But it wasn't until the WNBA came about that I learned that, dang, I could have made a different decision and my salary might have been a little bit different. <laughs> Thinking back then now. Yeah. 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 Now, listen, Absolutely. as you said, the WNBA wasn't formed when you finished college. So the option for you was, hey, got to go overseas. Now, you had options to play in Spain, France, Italy, Greece, and Korea. Wow. I can't imagine Korea. I mean, like nobody speaks our language over there. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the perception for female basketball players? You know, actually, they've had professional basketball even longer overseas. So it was an wow for me. And it's crazy, right? You would think that yeah. here have invented it, but they had a system of professional women's basketball over there. So mm. Coach called me in her office and was like, Rusha, this agent called and they said, there's a chance for you to go overseas and play. You know, they pay you, you get a house, you get a car. Yes. And I was like, yo, sign me up. I don't have to go to work yet. You know, so it was (laughs) me to continue to do the thing that I loved. And so I went to Spain that first year and I knew that was what I wanted to be doing. And I was going to play as long as I could. What you got to go to Spain first, girl? That's the one place in the I've been to everywhere working, but I've never got to go to Spain. What was that experience like? Listen, and it wasn't just Spain. I my first year, I'm spoiled. I went to the Canary Islands, Los Palmas, mm. and it was the Canary Islands. So I'm living off the beach, you know. And and funny enough, Las Palmas is a province of Africa, so it's not too far from mm. Africa. It's, it's a Spanish, you know, it's part of Spain. So we were right there at the water. The people mm. were amazing. It was warm year round. We had a really good basketball team. I could not have asked for a better situation. Plus, I spoke Spanish. You know, so it was really good. And, and funny story, when I told you, you said, you know, I was born in the Bronx. My first babysitters were Puerto Rican. So wow. I spoke Spanish than English. My mom was like, no, she got the, uh-uh. We, she got the, <laughs> I don't understand her, what she's talking about. Well, Spanish yes. has always been a part of who I am. So I was just really excited because all I had to do then was just learn the dialect. So I had the education of the, the language. Okay. Now, girl, you know, I, I got to be a girly girl right now. They say some fine men over in Spain too. Yes, honey. Yes. I'm not mad about that, girl. That's what everybody's, everybody's like. And they love they love them some chocolates. They do. They do. Absolutely. Well, you didn't come back with a husband. You know, I left one over there. But oh, you know, okay. Not a husband, but oh, you know, a friend. I had a couple of great relationships. Oh, why not? I mean, that's life and that's like living. You know what I mean? What experiences did you gain from playing in Spain? Not only did I do well with the languages and learning the culture and, of course, cooking their meals, it was just really about understanding their people, where they come from, what it's all about, and the relationships that I built over there. I still have friends now. The gentleman that I dated, his family and I were still really close friends. I'm trying to help his niece get recruited to come play college basketball here in the States. 
like just relationships. I'm huge on relationships and just understanding that that impact is lifelong. So I'm yes. and then being able to travel because we played one or maybe two games a week, but I would still have me like two days off. I would get a plane or a plane and just go anywhere just to experience different places. Yeah. See, that's the beauty of when you go to Europe, how close things are. Whereas for mm-hmm. us, it's like things are, you know, kind of far. But in Europe, mm-hmm. it's like you can go to Spain, Germany, Absolutely. London, France. You can go to all those places. Like you said, um, easily just a train ride. Absolutely. And they have the, the fast train now, the Eurostar. Yeah. And so the years, I put two years in in Spain and then I was in France and Italy and Greece. Mm. I could literally get on. My friends would come over. We would jump on a train mm. in Paris the next morning, spend the whole wow. day, come back the next night. Like, you don't even need a hotel. We could just jump on a, on a train and just go and travel. I've got a question for you. Why mm-hmm. is it that most WNBA players today have to, in the off season, go play over in Europe? Do they get paid more? The money. Absolutely. Okay, keep it real. Make, keep it real. Make way more money overseas. And even when the WNBA first started, and mm-hmm. I mentioned how I had gone to Furman in a smaller school, but because I didn't go to a big school and didn't have the big name, I wouldn't perceived as WNBA quality. But my salary that first year was $15,000 oh. during the season. And I made way more money. So I was just playing for fun over here. By the time taxes hit that and eat that little up, that was food. Right. That was food and gas. But I was excited. It was for the love of the game, right? It was for the love of the game and having the opportunity to play in front of my family. Because when I was playing overseas, my mom would come see me. My brother would come see me. But my friends and my other relatives could see me. So being able to play in the States and I'm from South Carolina and there was a team in Charlotte. My family's yeah. in New York. I got to see them. They actually got a chance to see me play. So I would I literally would have played for free to be a part of, you know, those beginning days. But it definitely was an experience for me because it taught me so much. It taught me so much. Right. And I want to hear about those lessons, too. Um, the WNBA was formed in 1996 and began officially playing in 97. And though you were, you know, leading the country and and scoring, getting a spot on the team was challenging for you. What was the recruiting process like? And everybody was so excited because in the 96 is when the Olympic team, you know, our women have always been one. Golden, (laughs) always. And so they took that year off and they were touring and everything was amazing. I was living in Atlanta at the time. And so they came and they had the Olympics. So when the, so when the NBA and David Stern announced that they were having, I was like, yo, I have got to be a part of this. I want to be a part of it. And I watched Lisa Leslie and Dawn Staley mm-hmm. and Cheryl Swoop. You know, like I got yes. a chance to play against, you know, Cynthia Cooper overseas. But to see all of them on one court together and to know that there was going to be a league that focused on the women and just gave us that platform, I was excited. But like I said, I had gone to Furman. Small mm. Nobody thought I had the basketball acumen to be a part of this league that they were building. So they initially put the top players, the Olympians, they used Rebecca Lobo, yes. Celeste, mm-hmm. and, and Cheryl Swoops. They were the first faces of the W. And then they went to all the top schools. So North mm. Carolina, where I opted not to go because I was going to go hang out with my family. <laughs> players from North Carolina, Duke, Stanford, all the schools I had an opportunity to go to. Those were the players. And then they came overseas. So I knew this was going to be my chance because, as you mentioned, I was playing in France and I was the leading scorer in the country. So I was like, they clearly going to come over here and get me. Okay. Girls picking her. And I was like, I just gave her 25 and 12 last night. How are they going to pick (laughs) 
like I literally every time somebody got picked, I was like, yep. Yeah, I, I, I love that she said, yo, she said, yo, I gave her 25 and 12, which meant 25 points and what? 12 and rebounds? 12 rebounds, absolutely. Oh, you know I know. Okay. So okay. I'm like, how are they picking these people? But it was really political. And I understand yes. they're trying to build something and they wanted people to be excited. And I just told my agent, I was like, I got to figure out a way how to get on one of these teams. And wow. luckily enough, the WNBA in that first year wanted to get the hype out. So the marketing plan was to make sure that each franchise held open tryouts because they mm. wanted to give the average woman a chance to come in and get an opportunity. And so I was living in Atlanta, worked out. Three of my girlfriends and I drove to Charlotte to try out for the team. We walk into the gym. There are 250 women <gasps> for two spots. What? Spots. 250 oh. women showed up? I love that. Was, and I mean 18 to 80 because wow. they to be a part of it. There were women in there that could barely walk, but just to go in there and you get a, yes. a jersey, they wanted to be a part of that process. And I'm like, now I got to beat up somebody's grandma. To get- <laughs> <laughs> so, Would you like, what if I got to throw no, that bone hey, and she coming through, you go get one. Granny. Okay. Got your girl, granny. It's about to go down. <laughs> so we, um, I, I made it from 250 to 100 down to the final four and I got cut. Oh, dang. Oh. I had never been cut from anything, so I was traumatized. And Ooh. I come home to my family, and I tell my mom, and I'm all emotional and crying. I ain't a cry baby, but when stuff happens, I get me about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So what you what you doing? What you gonna do? I know that's right. Hear yeah, nothing about my tears, and I was like, uh, they just cut me, lady. What you want me to do? <laughs> but uh-huh. so I did some research, and I found out that Cleveland was having their tryouts the following weekend. I talked okay. to my boy. To, driving with me to Cleveland and trying out. And same thing, 250 women went in with a different mindset, worked even harder. And by the end of it, the coach told me, Rushi, you had a great tryout. We're going to let you be a practice player. Like, practice player. Well, you didn't get cut, though. But you didn't get cut. No, I didn't get cut. You didn't get cut now. Okay. What I'm telling you, I didn't tell her. I was just thinking it in my head. I was just excited. (laughs) You're like, I practice. Show me. I'll take it. Whatever you want. Whatever you want, I'll do that. And, you know, just with it being a practice player, you know, you don't travel with the team. You have to sit in the stands when it's a home game. Mm. So I want it, but I was still happy to be a part of it. So if we had training camp for three and a half weeks and that whole training camp, I was killing everybody I could. I know that's right. I icing myself because I was struggling. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done. But Mm. at the training camp, she calls me into her office and was like, Rusha, you had a great training camp and I'm going to take you from the practice roster and put you on the regular roster. So one of the ladies came down. So now I'm on the team. I'm calling my mom. I'm all excited. I'm crying. I'm just joyous because now like it's official. I get my jersey. I get to play. I get to travel. I'm so excited. And it's just, you know, that hard work because I felt like nobody believed that I was good enough Mm. to be a part of it. And I worked and I got it. And it was just, yes. so we're seven games in. She calls me in the office. Now I'm scared. Like, oh Lord, what did I You're do? You're like, don't cut me. Come on, lady. That's exactly what I was thinking. And she was like, listen, um, we play LA on TV Friday and you're the best matchup for Lisa Leslie. And I was like, oh. ain't no best matchup for Lisa Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like somebody coming to you and say guard Shaq or Kobe or, you know, like, Lisa's absolutely incredible. And it was an honor 
to be moved into that position. But at the same time, I was like, listen, lady, you're just trying to kill all my little confidence. But I was ready. You know, we played well and it was a good game. And I was just so yes. excited to be accepted. And so I ended up playing seven years, primarily as a starter. Yes. Leaves a game. I, I love, okay, now where was that that you said you played in Cleveland for seven years? I played in Cleveland, Cleveland Rockers for six years. And then that yes. last I played, I played for Charlotte, the team who okay. initially. I was then I, on their team. I love it. So your family got to see you play uh, in Cleveland. And, yeah, I love that. Cleveland, Charlotte, New York. They could travel then because you can jump on a plane or even take a car ride. We have three games in a weekend. They'll come up, stay Thursday through Monday, and it's fine. But you couldn't just jump over to Spain or Italy or France. Yeah, now, well, see, I was going to ask you that. In the off season, did you still go play overseas? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. She said, I went I back my money point. overseas. Yes, I was <laughs> I'm going to play about my money now. I don't play. I cannot play about my money. So no, I played overseas. So I was doing year round like a lot of the players do now. So I would be overseas from like October to April, then come mm -hmm. back to W, play from May to yeah. October to September. And it was year round for seven years. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a sponsor of the, uh, the I uh, absolutely do. Can I get some yes. hair though? I know that's I, right, I girl. You just, you just let me know and I will hook you up, okay? I got you covered. <laughs> Only thing I asked is that you just tagged Vivica Fox Hair Collection. You but don't you have know to me. worry about it. I got absolutely. you covered. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, 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 the reason why I am a sponsor for the uh, L.A. Sparks is because I did a movie years ago called Juana Man. Mm -hmm. And girl, what I'm telling you, Cheryl Swoop, Cynthia Cooper, uh, uh, Dana, Dana Taraze came and played. And I never forgot that because they could have been like, no, I ain't nobody doing no movie, da, 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 da. But not only did they come and do the movie, but they played, they ran plays with me. And you know, I thought I could hoop, girl. I did. <laughs> Child. They put their professionals in there. That ball was going by me so fast. I was sucking air. I was asking for oxygen. I said, okay, y'all good, good. This is a whole different level. So I want to let anybody out there know, never underestimate them players in the WNBA because they will take you to the hole. They will shoot a jump shot on you. They will bust a three on you in a heartbeat. Okay. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. So it's levels to it. And it's so funny that you say so many people underestimate just because we're women. And yes. I seen a number of times the funniest one being when Lexi Brown who um her dad D Brown played in the NBA but Lexi plays now for Chicago she was working out some guy was talking junk and challenging her and, and she's pretty and cute as she want to be she was like okay we'll play one-on-one -on -one. she kicked his butt and it was his all entire butt oh it was all, all <laughs> she got it all so it's just funny to see how the random guy in the gym will underestimate, underestimate a girl. But the guys yeah. that play are like, yo, we know what it takes to get to this level. So there's so much respect and love between the male athletes and the female athletes while these randoms who couldn't even make their JV team. Right. Think that they gonna think that they gonna take a take a sister to the hole. Not mm -hmm. happening, okay? Not gonna happen. She got game. We got game. Okay, fellas. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So that 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 that's my payback for every year. I've been a sponsor of the uh, LA Sparks for the past five seasons. And I'm so happy that now it's looking like we're going to get to go and and come back. And, you know, even though yes. it's going to be COVID, you know, friendly, but I'm so excited. I miss going to the games because, you know, me, girl, I'll be down there hollowing. You would think I was on the sixth Listen, lane, Okay. Don't, don't think I haven't seen you. I've walked and I just know that you are a supporter. And so many people think that, you know, just because you're a star that maybe somebody's giving you tickets. I was like, no, ma'am, it's 50. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
make sure she supports. And that's really important that not only do we attend, but we have to support because the absolutely and in building this league. So thank you so much for your support, both as a sponsor and a fan. You're welcome, darling. Because I tell everybody out there, you know, I, I, it, what I love about the WNBA games is that they're so kid friendly. And, you know, Absolutely. usually the season is like in the summertime. So it's fun to like bring the kids there. They can go have a bite to eat or before the game. They're, they've got dancing. They got fun. So go support the WNBA games. They are an awesome experience for the entire family and, and inspirational necessary. to all young female athletes as well, too. So go keep y'all. We got to support the WNBA so we can get them them big salaries so they ain't got to go across the waters in the offseason. They can chill out. That would <laughs> definitely some, help. And do some movies with Vivica. But Absolutely. Yeah. So let's move forward. What was it like navigating your way out of the league? You know, it's funny because I didn't plan when I was going to retire. You know, like, so it wasn't a part of my thought process. I was playing overseas in France. I'd literally just won the French championship. I'd won the Euro wow. League. I won four championships in one year with the team that I was on. And I was in so much pain because like I said, I'd done seven years straight of just year round without a break. My body was breaking down and I was over mm. mentally. I was exhausted more so than physically. Right. And we were literally having champagne and I probably had had one too many. And I told them, I was like, you know what? I'm not playing anymore. And I was like, girl, you're about to get paid next year because you just won all this stuff. You can't leave. And I was like, yes, I can. Wow. And when I did that, of course, I felt it that that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't have a plan. And I came home, you know, I had some money, so I was still doing stuff. And I was like, I'm going to do just the stuff that I love. I'm going to work with kids. I'm going to organize camps and clinics and just do whatever. But something still, I needed a little bit more and I wasn't sure what it was. And I, like a lot of athletes, when they step away from the game, I fell into a depression and was trying to figure out who I was without the ball and what I need to be doing and who I needed to associate with and align myself with to try and figure it out. And I'm looking at like by two years, I'm like, something is not quite right. You know, like I was still happy go lucky in front of my friends, but come home and I would just lay in my bed all day and not do anything. So is that because you now didn't have something to do as far as practice, tryouts, and this, that, and the third? There's nothing more regimented than an athlete's schedule. Wow. So I had gone from knowing every step, everything that I was doing from, say, 8 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night to having to figure it out myself. And I had not planned. And I, I stress how important it is to have a plan when you get ready to transition from the sport. And I did it. So I finally you know, started talking to somebody and figuring it out and working myself out and, and knowing who I was without the ball. And it got better for me. But that transition initially was hard, which also led to me um, having some conversations. Like I did celebrity games. I go play be like, you flying anywhere? Yeah, I'm coming. I was yeah. all over the world doing those things. And I found out that I wasn't the only one. And just talking to our sisterhood, that was experiencing these issues. I um, got a chance to play in a celebrity game with like Teaspoon and Kim Hampton, Matt yes. Woodard. And yes. one of the ladies that played with us was a two-time WNBA All-Star. She had played at least six seasons overseas and here. And we found out she was homeless. So I'm like, so how does this happen? Like, I know I'm tripping and I'm depressed and I got to get myself together, but I have a home. I still got some money. You know, like I was okay. Right. And I was happen. So naturally in that moment, we all just gave what we had and, you know, everybody tried to take care of it, but that was a temporary solution. 
So I came back mm. to the WNBA and talked to them. Then I went to the NBA Retired Players Association thinking that, you know, since the WNBA is under the NBA, then the WNBA retired players should be under the NBA retired players to try and figure out mm. what that transition looks like. But at that time, their board was not willing to accept the women. And luckily, the executive director at the time, who was Charles Smith, he was like, Rusha, you have a I love Charles. That's he's awesome. Yeah. yeah, he's awesome. He was like, I'll help you build. So that's how I started the Women's Professional Basketball Alumni Association. So I he love that. He definitely thought it was important and he helped me and he's still important in my life now as a mentor and friend. And he helped me to do that because it wasn't just for me. It was so many other women. And as we started having these conversations, we would all be in the room and I was like, everybody's saying the same thing. Everybody has the same story. And so it became really important for us to share those story because you always feel like you're by yourself. Yes. And can I add this as well, too? See, mm -hmm. this is what we need for young athletes because, you know, they're throwing these huge amount of monies, yes. you know, at these contracts, at these young kids, you know, 18 mm -hmm. and 19 year olds that have never, never. had a hundred million dollars in their life. They're out spending the cars and the parties and this that, and the third. But what you have to understand is that that's not going to last forever. You're going to get older. Like you said, them knees going to break down. Then yes. you're going to get some injuries, this that, and the third. And if you don't have a plan for what's next, then you're going to be broke and possibly homeless, dealing with depression, dealing with a lot of things. So I'm so glad to hear that you as a former athlete said, listen, we've got to form an alumni so that we can look out for folks so that they don't get into depression. They don't end up homeless. Is and that there... education part is so, I'm sorry, excuse me. That's okay. That education part is really important because like you mentioned, these kids get all this money. Yeah. You're not a financial advisor. You don't know what to do with this money. So then you end up entrusting people just because they come to you and say, right. hey, take care of you. But we've seen so many of our athletes being taken advantage of because they're Absolutely. not in that space. Mm -hmm. So everybody doesn't have your best interest at heart. So you've got to know to at least keep your circle tight and make yes. sure that people that are supposed to be working for you, there's a system of accountability. Checks exactly. Not, no one person has to be above the law. Everybody's got to be checked. And that's one of the things I think that's really important. Because, girl, there was one basketball player that had went through $100 million. He was like, yeah, one time I had 70 people on my staff. Yes. I'm like, to do what? wait a minute. To do what? It's one. You play on one team. I mean, I can see the manager to stretch out, you know, the this, the person to travel, you know, your clothes. I can name, I, you know, like for me, I got a tight little knit of people. That's about five people. The publicist, mm -hmm. the manager, the agent, hair, makeup, you know, mm -hmm. the assistant. That's six. What you need was 70 people. But see, that's when, and I think a lot of times athletes get caught up in trying to take care of the people that were there as they rose. So a oh, lot yeah. of, these are people that are just hangers-ons. They didn't yeah. even think they are not doing anything. Now you're just trying to take care of your boy. Or you're trying to buy everybody a house. And that's not feasible. If I go become a doctor, who, how many of y'all can I take with me? That part. So not definitely an opportunity to make sure people get different different um platforms to excel in like nobody has done it better than lebron james like what yes he's done with his guys he didn't just mm -hmm. give them money he gave them an opportunity to educate themselves and mm -hmm. to um, for themselves as opposed to just living off of him and i think if other athletes took that mindset and put that action into play then it would be and not story. and not just go to the club and make it rain on on people right that part okay now you have something that you call passion 
principles, how to be the exception, not the rule. Explain that to us. You know, this is something that's so near and dear to my heart, but just over my years, I have met some of the greatest athletes, lawyers, doctors, teachers, community servants. And one of the things that I hold close is the fact that I am a role model. So I make sure that I speak and, and do things with the kids to try and help out. And I've learned that success, no matter what realm you're in, you got to have passion. So that means yes. you something that you love. Like I mentioned it earlier, you do the thing that you love and your gift will make room for you. And I put together one year when I was doing a program for some kids, I wanted to talk to them about a life skills curriculum and how they can be, you know, powerful, whether it's in the classroom, on the court, on the field, whatever the case is. And I came up with seven key principles that would help with success and it's perseverance, understanding that stuff happens, but you got to figure out a way how to get back on track. You can't stay off track for too long. So you persevere, you keep pushing until you're successful. Your A is your attitude. Knowing mm -hmm. that people work with people that they know and that they like. That's right. Give people a reason to support you. Give people a reason to say, yeah, I back what she's doing. And I know that, you know, you walk into a room, people judge you before you even open your mouth. So I try mm -hmm. and make sure that they understand the way that you carry yourself, how you speak, make an eye contact, that good, firm handshake. All that stuff is important because you never know who's watching. So your attitude is key. Your S is sacrifice. Knowing the difference between what I want to do and what I need to do. Right. You know, we talked about how I didn't play basketball until I was in the 10th grade and I was kicking it with my friends. But when I started playing basketball, Rushi, you want to go half pizza? No, nah, I got a game. Rushi, you want to go yeah. to the beach? No, nah, I got a tournament. I wanted to go half pizza. I wanted to, you know, hang out at the beach, but I knew what my goals were. So y'all come to my game and we'll do that after I finish that doing part. Yeah. Sacrifice, giving up something in order to get something else. So the second S is setting goals. I'm really big on writing things down. And yes. understand that I have to challenge myself because it's easy to get caught up in your comfort zone. You know, it's the, if I can do A through Z, that's good. But what about those double letters? How do I push myself to move forward? So set your goals, write them down, and don't be afraid to have huge goals. That way you know you had to put in the work and get that extra push, you know, from whoever you believe in to make that happen. So that's perseverance, attitude, sacrifice, setting goals. Your eye is inner strength. And this is mm -hmm. the one. I share my story about how I thought I was good enough to play in the league, but nobody else did. Mm. So I had to keep moving and keep working. And it's about believing in yourself and not letting other people tell you that you can't. Because a lot of times, not a lot of times, all the time, when people tell you you can't do something, it's because they can't do it. Okay. Believe has nothing to do with me. So I just try and inset, you know, put the mindset into the kids that you got to believe first. Because nobody's going to buy into it until you do, but then you got to do the work. So you're always your optimism, having a positive mm -hmm. mindset. We know yeah. life happens, but how do you get over it? Because we have a, a tendency sometimes to, something negative happens. We talk about it. We think about it. We call somebody. We're like, oh, my God, you're going to believe what happened to me. And we just keep going, going, going. But you got to flip it and look for whatever positive opportunity it is to learn mm -hmm. so that the next time you'll have that chance to do better. So optimism is that mindset. However you think, you know, it becomes your words and your words become your actions. So it's always about having positive conversations with yourself. And the last one in is never giving up. Just don't never. quit. Never quit. And I think a lot of times we see people's stories at the end. Like I know Vivica Fox is an incredible actress. She's done all this stuff, but I don't know her backstory. Like I'm sure you didn't just show up on the scene and they was like, yes, let's go. Like they're challenging. Yes. 
But a lot of times people don't see those backstories. And so I always make sure to change to, to share my personal story and tell them, no, I wasn't drafted. No, they didn't get me. I walked onto a team. I was a practice player. I tried out first, got cut. Like I tell all the low parts so they understand that that's not where you quit. You keep pushing until you go up. And just sharing those passion principles has been something that I've done for, it's been at least 10 years. And I just think it's really important kids and adults alike to understand how important it is to have those seven key traits for your success. Speaking of kids, um, you, you have a, you have a daughter. <laughs> I do. Yes. She was earlier helping me get my earphones together, but I have an <laughs> eight year old. She is amazing, energetic. She's going to keep her mama young because she I know is- that's right. <laughs> into into you, with these kids, they come with you with some stuff. You're like, what? You know, but this is because they're exposed to so much, so much more. What advice would you give to the eight-year-old you? Wow. I guess I would tell myself that I'm enough. You know, Mm. I I was, I grew up in an era where kids were to be seen and not heard. So I did my voice. I um, had a lot of challenges where I, I wasn't very confident because I compared myself to other people and what they had and what they were doing. Like all of those things I think are terrible for kids. And I just really would tell myself, you're more than enough. Everything that you're doing is going to work out. Apply pressure. That would be just apply, keep going, keep pushing, keep working harder and focus on yourself. Not so much what other people are doing because we yes. so lost in comparing ourselves and keeping up with to each others. other. Yeah. That looks different to different people. Like my mm. At one point before I was a mother, it was about traveling as much as I could and hanging out and being with my friends. But now it's making sure that my daughter has certain opportunities, making sure she sees the world, making sure that she learns different languages, making sure that she is empowered herself and confident in who she is and trying to keep her out of some of the pitfalls that I had, you know, just trying to be for her what I needed when I was younger. So I definitely think, you know, apply pressure, but I was more than enough and I needed to know that then. What drives you? drives me just wanting to be better than I was yesterday and want to impact as many lives as possible. I honestly believe that I am a vessel for success of other people. Like my success come, I love seeing other people happy. So if there's something I can, if you are working on a project and I have a resource or a connection that'll help you, I love connecting the dots. So I'm driven by success, not my own, not only my own, because I want to be successful too. I want to do good and do well. But I want to see other people get what they deserve and just use my relationships in order to make that happen. How have you hustled to become who you are today, the woman that you are today? You know, I have had the craziest stories and I'm just crazy enough to believe that I'm good enough to be whatever it is I want. And I have learned and I think this happened when I started playing sports. You get a lot of great qualities from playing sports. But for me, my hustle has been around the word no. When people tell me no, I work even hard. I mean, that clearly means not right now. You've got something else you need to work on until you can give me what I need. Uh-huh. Or make the person. So just not being discouraged. So I am driven and my hustle is about putting myself in the best position possible in order to be successful. I'm a single mother. My mother lives here with me. She's helped me and all these. I moved from Atlanta to Vegas and now I'm working with L.A., but none of this stuff would happen if I didn't have her support. And she has been there 
you know, from the beginning. And she taught me like work ethic is everything. So yes, and drive is just making sure that I show her that what she's instilled in me was not, you know, for waste. I love it. What do you see next for you? What do I see next for me? I envision myself doing worldwide tours because I love speaking. I love doing workshops, um, mommy and me workshops to help build healthy relationships between mothers and nurse. I do things, girls empowerment, and all these things are the things that I've been able to do through my jobs. Like when I retired, I said, I didn't want to do anything that I don't love. And I've always stayed close to that. I love helping youth. I love empowering people. And for me, it's just really important to get to that space where I can be on a stage in front of a million people, just sharing my gifts and my talents and allowing them to, to be empowered. And like I said, like you mentioned, a change agent. I want to help yeah. people change their lives and something. Yes. Well, yeah, we have to talk about the change agent. Tell mm -hmm. us more about the change agent. How and did absolutely. that come into your life? You know, I somebody called me that. And I was like, I like that. You know, I, I was speaking mm. at... Um, at a conference and the young lady, I was speaking to everyone and they were asking questions. She was like, you're a change agent. Mm. Like, yes, I am. I received that. Thank you very much. And but so explain I, that. What, what do you think she meant by saying that a change agent? Because I think a lot of times people hear stories and they're empowered, but they don't do anything with it afterwards. Mm. For it's about empowering you, but then accountability, because you're not going to keep telling me the same thing over and over. I'm going to check you and be like, nah, you said that last time. What do we do now? So it's always about the accountability and just trying to figure out the next step, because you only change when you keep making progress. You can't be the same person every day, every day, every day. Yes. So trying to get people to change their lives one step at a time and figure out what that looks like for them individually. Before I let you go, I, I wanted to talk to you really quick because I, I thought about, uh, you know, your daughter and, 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 and what you want things for her. And, you know, now you're working with L.A. Sparks. Um, how did the passing of Kobe Bryant and Gigi affect you? Oh, my gosh. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Agreed. And I think everybody... And it's so funny because I saw so many posts by people who clearly were not sports fans. Like, how can y'all be so upset about somebody who passed away? Y'all didn't even know. Oh, but my gosh. What? He was transcended sport. Yes. You know, especially with the relationship that he had with his daughter now. At the oh. time, he was working for the Aces in Las Vegas. And he would bring them to the game. They would yeah. go in the locker room. He would sit courtside. And, and we saw it everywhere he went. He would take her to the games and sit courtside and be breaking down games with him. Yes. And that's something that every young girl needs. Yes. Every young girl needs. And I know just, it made me think about my father and my relationship mm -hmm. and how I ended up playing sports because of him and hating how I didn't play while he was around. But when Kobe passed, I remember specifically where I was. I was in Me too. Um, my sister had just had surgery on her foot. So I had gone there to help her for the weekend and I'm packing, getting ready to go. And my nephew, Hugh, a huge Laker and Kobe fan. He's like, auntie, auntie. And I was like, what's wrong? Like, what happened? He's like, Kobe. And I was like, what happened? And he told me, and I was like, don't say that. That ain't funny. Somebody right. said they pass these little stupid things around. Yeah, yeah. And then my phone was in my room and I hadn't been looking at it because I was packing and I had 35 messages. Me too. 
And I was like, no, literally sit. And we all just cried. I ain't gonna cry right now. It was just such a sad moment, not just for basketball, not just for the NBA, but for the WNBA, for the young ladies that he was impacting. Like he was on a trajectory to impact lives, like for sure. Gigi was going to make it to the league. And I just hated for her fam, her other teammates and their family members that were a part of that. Like that was traumatizing. Like traumatizing. I know I'm trying to hold it together too. Listen, just even talking about it and thinking about it because he was amazing and what he he had his own game and what we expected for him to impact how he was Mm -hmm. going to impact the women's game. Can I tell you, it was such a breath of fresh air to see him that way because you know when he played he was such a beast yes. and cold you know what i mean and he was given that same drive right he was an assassin he would take mm-hmm. your head off and not think twice about it just so mm-hmm. that he could score on you and for that championship mm-hmm. ring but to see the softness that came with him with Gigi and I'm a daddy's girl and you are too. And I think that that's yes. why we feel it so much because we, 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 we met, we, we wanted to see, wow, what could have been, but I thank them for their gifts because Absolutely. I really felt like Gigi now for young women will always be inspirational that yes. they will have the drive that the WNBA is now going to be celebrating their 25th year that yes. the sport will keep growing and keep keep growing in her honor because yeah. you know they, they they did do something where they honored her there's an Absolutely. honor last season for the mm-hmm. WNBA they did an honor for her right so she, mm-hmm. her memory mm-hmm. will always live on and always Forever. inspire young girls so we have to thank them for uh their sacrifice and their gift that they left but we we miss them and 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 um I was just wondering you know um definitely did your gone dog- too soon yes Rest in peace. Gone too soon. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to cry. We're going to keep our lashes on. We're I know. We're going to keep it We were about to go there. I was like, because it was. It was just one of those things, like you said. It was like, no. But it's... you knew it when I saw my messages. and Everything was not Kobe. No Kobe. Yes. You know, but, uh, you know, uh, he left us with some amazing gifts and amazing memories. Absolutely. You know, that we will always um, carry on, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just want to. Wanted to talk to you about that real quickly. What do you see for the future for the WNBA? I am so excited for what's coming up for the WNBA. In the last couple of years, we've gotten a new commissioner who's more business-minded and is bringing more opportunities, financial opportunities. She wants to see, just like you said, the players not have to go overseas in the offseason. And the only way that can happen is that we raise the funds and just make it where we're marketing the young ladies and they're getting an opportunity and you see it. Like I think LA now has one of the most visible players with Taya Cooper. You know, she is all yes, over. Yes, they love Taya. Over a million yes. followers. Yes, because her personality. But I think as we allow the women to market themselves and show their yes. personalities, more people will be drawn to them because it's not even just about basketball. I you know, agree. Like, don't like Taya because of her hair. Some of yes. them like how did she be rocking her some Vivica Fox hair? Girl, they, did a, they did a whole little thing for me, and I love them. That's why I flood them. I'm like, tell me whatever y'all need. We said it. Mm-hmm. But it's good Absolutely. to see the girls be beautiful and market themselves and having fun. You know, that's Absolutely. what's going to definitely draw in more fans. Absolutely. And, and because it is a business, the merchandising has to go up. So yes. these things are being talked about, and it's something that's really important. And I foresee, like, in the near future, like, the ladies having an opportunity to stay here and not have to go overseas. And also, like, just the number of lives that we impact, the young ladies that are playing this game, 
I, and I keep talking about my daughter, but sorry, my eight-year-old <laughs> be in the gym with Kelsey Plum and just all the, you know, the top players and she knows what it looks like. So that's her aspiration as well. And I think these ladies have such an incredible role in growing and building this next generation of hoopers. So we got to support them. And so again, thank you for your support. Absolutely. And your ticket purchases. You better believe it, y'all. So like we said, please support the WNBA, which leads us perfectly into today's hustle hack. Today's hustle hack is hashtag passion Printable. Like Rusha said, leverage your mindset, grit, and tenacity to set and achieve your goals. You can have challenges in life, darlings. You will have life. You will have loss. You will have failures. It don't quit though. Believe in your in in yourself. Get supporters around you. Get a good team that sees you going to places and positions that you never perceived. But get a good team and keep a good passion principle. Show up with an attitude of gratitude. Don't be afraid to sacrifice. Set those goals. Achieve those goals. All right. You can do it. All right. And we want to say congratulations to the WNBA on their 25th anniversary. Your girl Vivica Fox is going to be in the stands cheering on our LA Sparks and all of the other girls as well too. Rusha, tell everyone where they can find you on social media. Thank you so much for this time here with you on Instagram. It's Rusha B, R-U-S-H-I-A-B. On Twitter, the same thing. And on Facebook is Rusha Brown. And also my website, RushaBrown.com. It's where I do most of my programming for my nonprofit, for my kids, just doing whatever I can. So thank you guys so much for the opportunity to be here with you. Thank you for the conversation. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in the stands. You or better believe it. You already know I'm going to be courtside, girlfriend. <laughs> and like I said, you let me know if you need a little hair. I'm going to hook you up. Oh, I'm you know right now. I want some. I love hair. <laughs> well, good. Like I said, you just let us know and reach out to our girl. But I want to thank you so much for joining me today with that beautiful smile, your beautiful energy. And it's just contagious. That smile of yours is just absolutely lovely. As a matter of fact, you remind me a lot of Lisa Leslie with the tone, the way that, that you, the the tone, the way that you speak. You know what I mean? You're just a beautiful lady. So thank you so much for joining Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Darlings, you can follow your girl at Miss Vivica Fox on Twitter and on Instagram at Miss V Fox. Also, follow Stage 29 Podcast too. So don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Until next time, darlings, bye for now. The Hustling with Vivica A. Fox podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during the podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.